0: We're at Matthew chapter 2 today. Right after we've heard that message that the angel Gabriel went to Joseph and said your wife Mary, she shall bring forth a son. This is the message of Christmas. He shall be called his name Jesus, salvation, savior, redeemer, why? Because he will save people from their sins. You know, this is the important message of Christmas that we all need. That what we need most beyond any other gift is we need forgiveness. Beyond every need that we possibly can come into our lives, what we really need is salvation, is forgiveness of our sins. Jesus, salvation, redeemer, rescuer from the the pit of our sin and destruction and eternal life without Him. Now we have a promise. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the prophet Isaiah said. And you shall call His name. Now wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. We said this Wednesday that just like you, can ha- you cannot have Thanksgiving without prayer, you can't have Thanksgiving without prayer. You cannot have Christmas without worship. Isn't it interesting that in every major scene of the Christmas story, you see worship involved when you talk about Christmas? Now, in fact, when the angel went to tell now Mary that she would give a son and his name would be Jesus, it said that right after he left that she now broke out in a song now of praise to God. We see worship illustrated there. We also see worship illustrated where now the angels went and told now the shepherds that were out in the field by night, that a Savior was to be born to them in Bethlehem. The Bible tells us that right after that scene, uh, a choir of heavenly hosts of angels appeared that night and started to worship God. You see, worship again in Christmas. Isn't that amazing? Twice already. But then the third time that you see is after the birth of Jesus. You see, worship again. And you see it in that famous scene now that we all portray where we see the wise men going to give their gifts and their treasures now to the Lord, Jesus Christ. And it said that before they offered their presents to him, they bowed down in worship. You, you see how Christmas is all about your savior, but Christmas is all about worship as well. And the wisest thing to do, like these wise men did, is to look for the king, to seek for the king, to search for the king. And to worship Him. I don't know what you're searching for. Or what you're seeking for. And sometimes we search and we seek for a lot of things. Things that don't fill. Things that don't satisfy. But today we can do the one thing that these wise men did. And they said, where is the king? Where is the king? That's the title of today's message. Because the wise will still seek Him. And the wise will worship Him. Do you know that? The wise will seek Him. And the wise will. We'll search Him. These wise men came to Jesus to give a gift, to offer a present. And maybe today, after church, or yesterday, or this week, you were searching and seeking for that perfect gift for someone. And you were out in the mall, or maybe at different shopping centers, online, searching and seeking, and you didn't find that present at one store, so you went to the other, and you were searching and seeking for something. The perfect gift now. You see, these wise men are searching and seeking for that perfect gift. And that perfect gift is the treasure of heaven. That is the perfect gift. The treasure of heaven. They brought these royal gifts to Him because we understand that our gifts are a part of our worship. So they came and they worshiped Christ after He was born. They brought their gifts. We get so caught up these days when it comes to gifts. Right, That we want to get that perfect gift. That we want to wrap it in the best wrapping paper. Now we want to add the best little note to it. We want that person to receive it. And just be so surprised when they open that gift. The Bible talks about a little five-year-old boy. Not the Bible, I'm sorry. I heard a story about a five-year-old boy. That his birthday was lined up right next to Christmas. Right before Christmas. And he goes and he prays on his knees and says, Jesus Please, for my birthday, give me a bike. And his birthday comes around, and lo and behold, he doesn't get the bike he asked for. He said, that's okay, I still have Christmas. So he starts to pray, goes by his bed, he prays on his knees. Jesus, I pray, please now, you didn't give it to me for my birthday, give it to me for Christmas, give me a bike. And he gets up and he said, this is not going to work, it didn't happen last time, I'm not going to get a bike this time. He's walking around his house. And all of a sudden, he passes by his living room and he sees the nativity scene that his mom set up. And he sees Mary there and Jesus and the wise men and the shepherds. And he loaning goes, I have a great idea. He grabs Mary, her little statue, takes it to his room, wraps Mary around a blanket and stuffs her in a drawer. And then he goes back and he prays. He says, Jesus, if you ever want to see your mom again, get me a bike. <laughs> you see, the interesting thing about this is that it's all about the gifts sometimes. There was a mother that was pregnant. And she was pregnant a months before Christmas. And she told her little daughter, you know what? If, if I, can, you know, I can give you that perfect gift, it would be to, to give you your baby sister on Christmas. But it's going to be very painful. I want you to know that. It's going to be extremely painful to give you your baby sister. But I want to give it to you her by Christmas Lo and behold Christmas comes around and the mother goes into pain and, and, and then labor and all of that happens and, and finally her, the little baby sister is born and they're all rejoicing, even the older sister. And she saw the pain that her mom went through and all of that, the agony and the labors and all of that. The next year comes around and the little daughter goes up to the mom now, again a little older now, and she says, Mom, if it's not too painful, this year can I have a pony? <laughs> You see, it's interesting what we would do and how far we would go when it comes to asking for gifts. Today, what gift are you looking for? What gift are you searching for? And I want to invite you not to look under the tree, but I want you to look at the tree, the cross. Where Jesus was crucified for the forgiveness of our sins. That was the reason why he was born, so that he can now go now to the tree, the cross. And me and you would have forgiveness of our sins because we are lost. And without Him, we are just sinners. With Him, we are saved. I'm going to give you three major points out of Matthew chapter uh, 2 now. That explain now the purpose and the attitude and the priority of Christmas. Number one, what is the purpose of Christmas? The purpose of Christmas is to search for the King. Write that down. The purpose of Christmas is to search for the King. Number two, the attitude of Christmas is to worship the king. The attitude of Christmas is to worship the king. And number three, the priority of Christmas is to make him the king of your life. The priority of Christmas is to make him the king of your life. And the reason why we're going through this is because we do not want to overlook the details in Christmas. I pray that you don't overlook the details in Christmas today. We're at Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. It says this now. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he? Where is he? It says. Who is to be born the king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and we have come to worship him. This is amazing here. Verse 2. Look at the wise men. What they're doing. They're seeking to worship him. And when Herod the king heard of this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And he had gathered all the chief priests, and the scribes, and the people together. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Verse 5, So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet here now. It says this, verse 6, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are you not the least among the rulers of Judah? For out of you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word. Lord, today we stand on your word. Lord, today we want to approach the story of Christmas, Lord, with the respect that it deserves. Lord, let us understand what is the purpose of Christmas. That is the search for the king. That we would understand the attitude of Christmas. That's to worship the king. And that we would know the priority of Christmas is to make Him the King of our lives. And I pray, Lord, that these wise men, that what would make us wise today is to search for Him. And what would make us wise today is that that it would be to seek Him. And we pray this all in Jesus' name together, the church said. Now it says this, and notice, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Now understand this. Because we're going to get very biblical today in regards to the Christmas story and the Christmas scene. It says after Jesus was born, it wasn't when he was born. He already had been born by this time, Matthew chapter 2. And it tells us this, that after he was born, and where was he born? In Bethlehem of Judea. We're going to study a little bit more about Bethlehem on Tuesday night. Bethlehem, that means house of bread. But it says that he was born in the days of Herod the king. Now, we're going to see that Herod was a man that was very threatened by another king or another rulership or another authority here that we see in verse 1. And it says here that wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, they came to Jerusalem, these wise men. And I want you to understand a little bit about these wise men because we've gotten it wrong now. We always put the wise men to come when when Jesus is in the stable in our nativity scene. But that's not when the wise men appeared and met Jesus. We always say that there were three wise men. <laughs> well, the Bible doesn't say there were three wise men. It says that they were wise men. It says that they bought three gifts, but it doesn't tell us how many wise men there were. It could have been 20 wise men that brought three gifts. It could have been 10 or it could have been five. We don't know how many wise men there were that day. But it said that they came from the east. And these wise men, they didn't travel just a short distance. They traveled a long distance. They were an entourage of people, a large group. It was an intimidating scene. It was a very big deal. Because these were magis. They were astrologers. They were wise men that studied the stars now. And they traveled the wilderness to come and meet the king. Why? Because someone significant was born. Someone significant was born. But they've come now and they traveled. And in verse 2, it says, saying, Look at this, is why they came. And I love this because it really checks our attitude as to how and why we've come. Because it says, When they came, it says, verse 2, they're saying, Where is he? That is the wisest thing anyone can do is to look for Jesus. They're saying, where is he who was to be born the king of the Jews? That is their priority. They've traveled in this long journey and they're on their journey to Jesus. Just like maybe some of us here are on a personal journey to meet Jesus face to face. And they go now and they're at Jerusalem because they're saying, where is he? We've come to seek him. And notice in verse 2, who has been born the king of the Jews. He is the king. Today we know Him as Jesus, the King. He is the King. He's the Savior. He's our Shepherd. But more than importantly, He is the King. He is the ruler. He has an authority. The Bible tells us in Isaiah that the government will rest upon His shoulders. He is the King. He has rulership. He has authority. We look at the world around us. We doubt in the government sometimes that it can be shaken. Even this week, including... In a government that can be distorted. In a government that can become corrupted. In a government that that is not sure. But the Bible tells us the government of Christ is going to be sure. The government will rest upon His shoulders. He is the King. Now it tells us here in verse 2. The King of the Jews, for we have seen, circle this word, His star. Whose star was it? It was the star now of Jesus. It was the star of the king in the east, and we have come, this is the purpose, we have come to worship him. Now this is amazing, as we notice it, is that these wise men were given divine revelation to lead them to Jesus. Do you know that none of us have an excuse as to why we didn't know about Jesus? If these wise men astrologers from the east saw a sign from heaven that it was in a star that would lead them to Christ... Think about all the other signs that God has given us to lead us to Him. Thank God for those stars. And maybe you think about a co-worker, a brother, a friend. Someone that led you to Christ. And, and God used them as a star to reflect the light of the sun, the S-O-N, the Son Jesus. To direct you to the place where He was at. In fact, this is amazing. If we pause right here and say, Lord, I want to be a star. I want to be your star that's reflecting the light of the sun, not the S-U-N, the S-O-N, the son Jesus, to direct other people now to where you're at. Do you understand what's taking place here? They saw his star and they said, we've followed that star and we have come to worship. And that is our purpose. That is our desire. What, What desire do you have today? What purpose do you have today? Because their desire was to serve him with a lifestyle, with a purpose. That's why they came. And they came specifically to Jerusalem. They came to a palace because that's where kings are born. And this is why we've come to Jerusalem to to seek the king with a seeking heart and with the right attitude. There's nothing better that pleases and honors God is that when you come to him, to his presence with a seeking heart and a right attitude, Lord, I want to meet you here face to face. That is the seeking heart that God wants today, this Christmas. You would come and approach him, where is he the king? We have come to worship Him. That is our desire. That is our attitude in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13. The prophet tells us, and we know this through Scripture, that the Lord is saying, "And you will seek me, and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. How much are you searching for him today? Because you cannot find Him unless you're searching for Him like these wise men were with all their heart. God is looking for people to search Him with all their heart. There are often times that we don't find what we're looking for in a relationship with Jesus because we don't give Him our entire heart. We don't make Him the King of our lives. So therefore we're empty. You are invited to seek Him. You're invited to search for Him because there is where you will find Him. God is giving you this grand invitation today. Did you know that? That you would come in to seek and search for the king. That is the purpose of Christmas, to search for the king. The purpose of Christmas is to search for the king. Verse 3, it goes on, it says, And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Now, we have to understand who Herod was. Because it says that he was troubled and he was afraid. In fact, history tells us that, that Herod was very power hungry. Not only was he very power-hungry, but he was jealous, he was very hostile to anyone that would come up and threaten his rulership or his authority. And when he heard that there was another king for the Jews, and it wasn't him, it was Jesus, he felt that he was now threatened in his position. That word troubled is the Greek word that we know of as tarasso. Tarasso. (laughs) And what that word means is greatly perturbed, it means highly agitated, it means deeply troubled. He was deeply troubled. Not only was he deeply troubled, but Herod was a very hostile king. Notice that. Herod was a very hostile king. That when he was troubled, everyone else was troubled as well. He was so scared. Have you ever had a boss that's so mean that when you understand that that boss has a bad day, everyone is scared. Man, we're all going to have a bad day today then too. But here they know that Herod now is, is perturbed or he's troubled, he's greatly distressed, and everyone else is distressed as well. Herod is known through history that because he was so power hungry that he would kill any possible rivals. History describes him as Herod as a cruel and very paranoid man. You see, in fact, nobody liked Herod. That we learn that when Herod was on his deathbed, he knew that no one would mourn his death. So he commanded that officials now and those that were chiefs would be killed upon his death so that they would be mourning when he died. Do you understand the level of now hostility that this man portrayed? Here come the wise men, the astrologers, the magi, and say, where is the king? There is a king and it's not you. There is a king and it's not you. You see, this is amazing here because what is your response to the king? What is the response when you know that there is a king and it is not you? When you understand that you do not belong on the throne, that it is Christ who is the king and He sits on the throne. Now in verse 4 it tells us this, And when He had gathered... All the chief priests. Look at what he does, Herod. And this is the same Herod that commanded that everyone from two years and under would be killed. All the children, all the male children. But what he does here before the birth of Christ, when they are now giving him the news that Christ is born, he gathered all the chief priests and all the scribes and all the people together and he inquired to them where Christ was to be born. You see, he understood this concept. So he grabbed all of the religious leaders and he says, all right, let's get together and let's look and let's find out as to where Christ is to be born. Where is the Messiah? The word Christ means the Messiah. Where is the Savior to be born? He went and he asked the religious leaders. Now, this is amazing as we start to read this and to see this and to learn this because these religious leaders, they take now Herod to the word of Scripture and they take him to prophecy. They take him to Micah chapter 5, verse 2, which is the following verse, verse 6 in Matthew chapter 2. And they quote this and it says this, but you Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are there not the least among the rulers of Judah? Aren't you now Bethlehem the smallest place? that comes from the smallest tribe of Judah, of the nation of Israel? Isn't it the most simple, humble place now that the Messiah is going to be born? For out of you shall come a ruler, notice that it's capitalized, the R here, giving uh, deity now to Christ, who shall shepherd my people Israel. Now this is amazing for us to, to really see. Because as they're in search for Christmas, they go to Scripture. Are you in search for some answers? You have to go to Scripture, go to prophecy. You start to learn and to see, even in the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophets, what they prophesied for us that the New Testament has now fulfilled. And now today, in 2019... We can go to prophecy. We can go to Revelation. We can go to Isaiah and see what does the end times look like as we get answers from the Word of God and from prophecy. Are you in search for some answers today? Go to the Word of God and go to prophecy here. Because this is exactly where they go to. And they take them and these religious leaders and these rulers, they know exactly where Christ was to be born. And they give them the prophetic answer to prove that is the Messiah. Messiah. You see, there is, it's undeniable that we know that Jesus through Scripture is the Messiah because prophecy tells us when, how, where, and what time He would be born. And Jesus over His lifetime, from His birth all the way to His death and resurrection, fulfilled over 300 of those prophecies that some were in even 700 years before He was even born. Do you understand the, the, the chances of Him fulfilling 300 the chances of fulfilling one are just <laughs> incredible. That Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies in life. Now tell us that we can know that we know that he is the Messiah. Now he, they go and take them now to prophecy. In the land of Judah, in a very humble, and a very small place. Will come a ruler, it tells us in verse 6. Who is going to be not only a ruler from the least of place, but also verse 6, it says, who will shepherd my flock or my people, Israel. Don't you love that not only you have a king, but you also have a shepherd in Jesus? This is amazing. Not only do you have a king, but you also have a shepherd. What does a shepherd do? He feeds. What does a shepherd do? He leads. What does a shepherd do? He cares now for the people. You see, in Christmas, we can embrace that Jesus not only came as a king, Jesus also came as a shepherd. Jesus would come as a shepherd, a shepherd people to lead, to care, and to feed. We know that he said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. That is exactly why he came as a shepherd, because he was going to lay his life down for us as sinners. Now in verse 7, it tells us this, In Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, he determined... From them, what time the star appeared? Now he started to question: What time did the star appear? What time was it that you saw the star? He was secretly, with a ulterior motive or agenda, was looking now as to when and how, after giving a prophetic location. And he says this in verse eight: and he sent them to Bethlehem, and said, "Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also." Notice. He says, I want you to go search. When you find him, let me know, and then I'll go and worship him as well. As we read this verse, this verse can really illustrate a lot of our lives in the past. When we started to say, you know what? Well, you found out about Jesus. He's over there. That Jesus is good for you. Maybe he works for you. Then you go worship him and just come back after and you can let me know a little bit about him. Right? When we don't really want to go search for him. But But the wise men here we were not only hearers of the word of God, not only hearers of that prophecy, They were also doers of the word of God in that they heard the prophecy and then they went to search for the king. You notice how the scribes and the religious leaders did not act upon the word of God? Because that's religion. Religion is just saying, how can I know it? What are the rules? What are the regulations? What is the law? But it never really takes you to Jesus. You see, when you apply the Word of God and you go to Jesus Christ, that is a relationship with Jesus Christ because the wise men were hearers and doers of the Word of God. You, you think about how, how close Herod and the priests and the scribes were to the Messiah. Yet they chose not to go. Why is it that sometimes we're so close to the Messiah, we know the Word of God, yet we're unwilling to make Him the King. We're unwilling to go and be led by the Word of God. You see, what the wise men did what they found out is number one that they followed the light that god gave them today has god given you a light number one follow the light that god has given you maybe the lord's given you a light maybe that light is a coworker. maybe you're the light for somebody else that's reflecting the light of the son, son jesus christ follow the light that christ has given that god has given you But number two, they confirmed every step. As they followed now, they confirmed every step by the word of God. They went to Micah chapter here. uh, You know, as we see in chapter two, they went to the prophecy in Micah chapter five, verse two. They confirmed that they were going the right direction. And they're confirming every step by the word of God. They weren't just emotionally going anywhere. They were confirming their steps by the word of God. But number three, they obeyed now without question. Did you see that they obey without question? Now that they found the word of God, now they're obeying without question. And know this God led them every step of the way. God is so available to lead you every step of the way. Well, it's not your experience, it's not how wise you are, it's not, not your position, it's not your title, it's not your authority. God will lead you every step of the way. He will lead you every step of the way. So, as long as you follow the light that He's given you, so as long as you confirm it with the Word of God, and then you're ready to obey what He has demonstrated to you. You notice how these lessons that you wise men are giving us today. And in verse 9, and when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. They had to pass Jerusalem. They had to pass Jerusalem and follow the star the star that was shining bright, reflecting the light of the Son, Jesus. You see, Jerusalem was the epicenter of the scribes and the religious leaders. It was the epicenter of the law. Jerusalem was where the temple was at. Jerusalem represented religion. But in order for us to get to Jesus, we have to pass religion, and we have to go straight into Bethlehem and go to where the sun is at and where that light is shining brightly to have a personal relationship with Him. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. A lot of people say, well, you know what? I was born Catholic and that's why I was going to raise my my family Catholic and I'm going to die Catholic. I don't know what it's like to be born Catholic or to be born anything. The only thing that we know like to be born is to be, I was born a sinner. I met Jesus and then I was born again by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And that is the story of our lives. You see, we see here now in verse 10 as they saw now the star and they approached him. It tells us in verse 10, and when they saw the star, they rejoiced. With exceedingly great joy. They rejoice with exceedingly great joy. See, you can have joy this way today. Maybe you're going through a tough time during the season, but you can have joy today. You can have joy today, rejoice today. Because of the treasure, because of the present, because of the gift that you have in Christmas. That's Christ. These wise men came and they, they saw the radiance of God in that star. And they stood over where that young child was at. And they rejoiced exceedingly. And it says here this important word, rejoice. Rejoice. What does that mean to rejoice? Rejoice. To have joy. To be filled with joy. To re- have joy and then to have it again. To rejoice. But you know how you can have joy today? Is, is by putting Jesus first. That's the only way that you can have joy. In fact, a lot of times we try to have joy and we cannot have it because Jesus is not number one. And notice, they did not have happiness, they had joy. We've all heard of that acronym that joy starts with Jesus. The O for others and Y for you spells out joy. That's the perfect order for you to attain joy. Jesus, others, and then you. That is the recipe to have Joy. These wise men were able to have joy. They were able to be filled with joy because they were looking at Jesus. They were looking at themselves. They were looking at Jesus. And it's impossible to have a life that's filled with joy when you don't have Jesus. But when you put Jesus first, joy becomes a blessing. It becomes a choice. And they follow that star. You see, Harry, you know what he wanted to follow? He wanted to follow the star of self. But these wise men were following his star. Do you remember a few verses before in verse 2 where he says, where is his star? Are you following his star or are you following the star of self? Because Herod also wanted to worship, but he wanted to worship self. And these wise men were interested to worship now Jesus. They they wanted to get off the throne from the place of king when it came to their heart. And they wanted to say, you know what? We're going to make him the king. We're going to go worship him. That is the attitude of Christmas, to worship the king. That's the attitude of Christmas, to seek him and then to worship him. Verse 11, and when they had come into the house. Now, I hate to break it to you and to ruin your nativity scene at home now. (laughs) But these wise men were not there at the manger. Jesus was already in a house. (laughs) It says, when they entered the house, they saw the young child. He was a boy already. He was a little toddler, it's like to believe. He wasn't a baby in a manger no more with the animals there and the shepherds. They were gone already by that time. (laughs) Well, by the time the wise men got there, he was in a house... He was a young little toddler. He was with his parents. And they saw the young child. Notice this. They saw the young child. And what did they do with Mary, his mother? And they do one thing. They fell down and worshipped him. They fell down and worshipped him. Seek him. Find him. And worship him. This was their attitude. Adoration. They fell down. See, the, the word fall down is they were really looking for a king. They didn't call him king by title. They called him king also by worship. Because falling down was a symbol of surrender. Falling down was a symbol of submission. And they bended the knee as though they were meeting a king. Just to know that. For the majesty, the honor that the king deserves. They came and they bend the knee. They honored him. They bowed down. They were saying, we are in full submission of the king here. Where is the king Jesus? They found him with his mother. And they bowed down before Jesus to adore him. You see that not only these wise men gave him their time. Gave him their time. But also they gave the Lord their treasures. They gave the Lord their talents the Lord wants when you find him is that not only you would give him your time, also give him your treasures and also give him your talents. Notice how this goes in verse 14 because it says first they worship and then they open their (laughs) presence. For a lot of us, they say, you know what? We're going to be praying for Tuesday night. We just can't come because we're going to go gather a family and open presents. First come worship and then go open presents. (laughs) Because that's what it talks about here in verse 11. Before you can offer Him anything, before you can offer Him your treasure, you have to first give Him your heart. Do you see how that goes in verse 11? They didn't give Him their leftover time or or treasure. They gave Him their very first. They gave Him their very best. They gave Him their very first time and energy and resources. There are often times where we look for Jesus and we give Him leftover time, leftover treasure, leftover talents. Whatever I have left over, that I will give to Jesus. That's not the attitude to have if he's your king. If he's your king, you're going to give him the first, and everything else he's going to meet your need with. Everything else he'll meet your need with. You give him the first, everything else he'll meet your needs with. That is him being your king. And you notice that they start to worship him, because before you offer him anything, you have to first give him your heart, worship first, presents later. The best gift that you can ever give to Jesus is your worship. Notice this, if it's his birthday, why is everyone else getting the gifts? (laughs) It's a it's a birthday of Christ we celebrate. Let's give Him our heart. And it says in verse eleven now, and when they opened their treasures, they presented gifts to Him. What do they do? They open treasures. I love that it says that their treasures didn't remain closed. They opened tre- the treasures. Our treasures should never remain closed before the King. Is there anything that is closed that you are withholding from the Lord that you're saying, Lord? I am willing to give you everything else, but this all, this, everything else here is closed. No, they opened their treasures and said, King, here, this is all for you. This is for the king. Let's open our treasures to him. We cannot offer God a closed treasure. He wants open treasures today. He wants open treasures. Where is your treasure? In the New Living Translation, it says that when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down, worshiped him. And when they opened their treasure, they presented gifts to him. Look at gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What are the gifts? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The children's ministry was asked, what are the gifts that the wise men gave to Jesus? A well, little boy raised his hand. He said, it was gold, frankincense, and murder." <laughs> no, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And, and look, look, we, we find out here that it, the purpose of their worship was because Jesus Christ was really king. And if he was really king, they had to come and give because give was a, giving was a part of their worship. And g- their generosity was a part of their worship. It's been said before, Martin Luther, I believe, said this. He said there are three types of conversions. The conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind... And the conversion of your wallet. And the third is usually the most difficult one. See, that's when you know Jesus is really your king. But the gifts that they brought, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh, these are gifts symbolizing the ministry of Christ. In fact, let's go through them, the gifts that are worthy for a king. First gold, why gold? Because that's a symbol of royalty. And if you study gold, is when you ever, you would go visit a king, you would have to bring him a gift. You would always include a portion of gold in there, if you were going to see a king. Because it symbolized or was an emblem of wealth. And kings represented that in royalty. You were approach a king, you were, you were to give him something that would deem him worthy of his kingship. So the wise men were saying, we realize that you are king, let us give you gold. We're going to give you the best because you are king. Do you notice how the wise men came with excellence? We're going to give him gold because he is king. But also they gave him frankincense. Frank incense. This wasn't only some incense, this was frankincense. And this frankincense was a a very special frankincense in in that it it was a very now uh, uh, smell that brought in fragrance. It was a pleasing fragrance smell. Now the Bible tells us that Jesus also in Hebrews, if we read this book, Hebrews chapters 1 through 5, that Jesus is our high priest. And he ever so lives to make intercession for us before the Father. Incense in the Bible is representative prayer. And they came and they brought incense to our high priest, Jesus, who would plead our case before the Father. Do you notice how amazing the symbolism is? That they brought frankincense to him? Jesus is our high priest. He stands before the Father making prayers before us and pleading our case before our sins. And he said, I already paid the price of their sins. He is our high priest. Now He is the one that would go like the high priest in the Old Testament and light that incense and pray now for the people. Jesus, our high priest, gets the gift of frankincense because He is the one that is the mediator between us and the Father and is making those prayers, those intercessions, that sacrifice. The pleasing fragrance is going up because Jesus is our high priest. But also they gave Him the gift of myrrh. And this is a very strange gift that they would give Jesus. Imagine his mother giving, accepting the gift of myrrh. Myrrh was something that they would use to anoint those that had died, the dead. Just imagine someone, you had a baby shower and someone gave you myrrh. You'd be like, get out of here. Get that person out of here my house right now. Right? They just brought us myrrh. My, well, our baby's not even born yet. <laughs> no, they brought him myrrh now. It was the ointment of death. Why do you owe him to death? Because not only was he the king, not only was he our high priest, but it would symbolize the reason of his birth that he would one day die for the forgiveness of the sins, that salvation could only come through the death of that young boy, Jesus. That he was the king. See, the purpose of the manger was so that me and you could know the cross. And that's the priority of Christmas, to make him the king of our lives. Is he the king of your life today? Does he occupy the place of prominence in your life? Does he? These these gifts were so important too, also even to the family. This family was a poor family. And we know that Herod commanded that all young boys would be executed from the age of two and under. Think about this young family that was now fleeing now to Egypt from Herod. What is it? How is it that they were to go with this poor family and go on this long trip to Egypt to flee? It is believed that because of the gifts or the giving of these wise men that it was able to finance some of their trip to now take Jesus over to Egypt. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? We never even thought of that. It was a poor family. Now think about what your generosity does, your giving does, when you give to Him as He is your King or like He is your King, right? Right? and you make him the king, it takes Jesus to different places that he needs to be at because of your gift, because of your giving. Now this is interesting as we continue reading in verse 12 because it says, Then divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod. They departed for their own country another way. Where did they go? They went another way. These wise men went one way as they met Jesus, but they went another way after they had already encountered him. When you meet Jesus, you usually go in one way, and after you have an encounter with Him, you leave differently, you leave another way. Because Jesus changes your life. Jesus changes everything about you. He changes your desire. He divinely warns you. They have an encounter. They become new now. See, the worship was also manifested in their obedience to God. They were obedient to the heavenly dream, and they leave without serving Herod as an informant. They came to present a treasure, but they left with the greatest treasure that was a treasure of heaven. But oftentimes we can look at the wise men and really miss out on these details. That number one, they sense an urgency to worship Him now. Where is He? We've come to worship Him. They didn't want to wait until later. They wanted to worship Him now. When it comes to your worship, do not put it off. Jesus wants your worship now. He wants you to worship Him now. You see, the a sense of urgency, but they also not only wanted to worship Him, they wanted to come and give Him something because worship is never empty-handed. They didn't come empty-handed in adoration. They came and said, Lord, here I am to worship You. Use everything about Me. And they brought the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. You know, Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, said this, we see a wonderful pattern when it comes to the wise men. Those who look for Jesus will see Him. Those who truly see Him will worship Him. And those who worship Him will consecrate their substance to Him. Those who seek Him are going to worship Him. Those who worship Him will then consecrate everything over to Him. They'll give Him everything over. They'll relinquish everything over to Him. You know when you do that? Because you said, Lord, You are the King of my life. Here is the best of what belongs to me. I give it to You. I make You King of my life. You are the King of my life. Which kingdom are you serving? Because we cannot be serving the kingdom of Christ without first having made him the king of our lives. Is he the king of your life today? And if he is not, then we would say, Lord, not not I, but you, Lord, you be the king. I don't want him to be the king. Lord, you be the king. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your word. Because your word is so amazing, Lord. We thank you that we can learn from this, God. Because you are a king, Lord. Also, our high priest, God. That you live to make intercessions and prayers for us, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, also, because not only are you king and are our high priest, God, but also it was because of you, Lord, that we can. Have salvation because of your birth and then to your death. We can now have salvation. We pray, God, that we would realize that. And that we would go to you, Lord the King. Go to you, Lord the King. Fill us, Lord, with more of you, Jesus. One more of you, Christ. And I pray for anyone here that may be searching and seeking for anything else that's not you, Lord.